Hey, why don't you go ahead and grab your Bibles and go to Ruth, Ruth chapter 4. Ruth chapter 4, as we uh, uh, wrap up a series we've been in, in the book of Ruth. If you don't have a Bible on you this morning, we have ushers who have Bibles in their hands. If you forgot your Bible, you didn't bring a Bible, you don't own a Bible, for sure, throw your hand up, grab one of these. And if you don't own a Bible, take it as our gift to you. Get yourself to Ruth. It's, it's, it's in the beginning of the Bible. Get, get through the first big books, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus. You'll, you'll find yourself in the book of Ruth, just a short little book in God's Word. <clears throat> As you're turning there, I'm excited to, as we wrap up this series, what's coming next, and I want to give you guys a bit of a, a heads up for the sermon series that we're looking forward to in the fall. Um, after we wrap up this one, we're, we're starting with a series called Encountering Jesus. We just want to spend some time in God's Word looking at all the places where we see Jesus encountering different people where we see what happens and, and we see people that are transformed. We see more about who Christ is. And, and really, for us to walk this faith, we want to know who Jesus is. So we want to, want to walk through a, a number of those encounters with Jesus. Then after that series, we're going to one called Supernatural. We want to see, hey, what, what does it look like for us as Christ followers? What's the, the power that you have within you? What are the gifts that you're promised, that you've been given by the Spirit, gifts that you can use for God's glory, gifts that he's given you supernaturally? We're going to talk about the warfare. What's going on in, in our world where, where Scripture says we, we don't battle flesh and blood, but there's, there's principalities, there, there's stuff going on around us that we can't always see, but it's a, a spiritual battle. What does that mean? What are angels and demons? How does this all work? We want to unpack that together. So I'm looking forward to those two series. Be praying um, as we jump into those coming up after this series here is over. All right, let me, let me pray one more time for us as we jump into God's Word together. God, I pray even now. Lord, you promised that your word does not return empty, and so I pray this morning, Lord, that that, that promise would be true. Lord God, not, not my words, but your word, that your word would transform. Lord God, there are people who have come in here this morning, and they need to be lifted up and encouraged. I pray that your word and your spirit would do that. Lord, there are those who come in this morning and, and, and need to be challenged. God, I pray that your word would do that as well. Lord, in all of this, what we pray for is that we would see you see you more clearly, because we know when we experience you, when we see you, when we encounter you, that we're changed. And God, we pray for that. God, not a, a, another Sunday just to fill our heads with knowledge, but instead, God, we be transformed this morning. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, we're rolling into Ruth chapter four, and, and the title of this sermon is The Best is Yet to Come. It's, it's sort of been the theme that's, that's been around this entire book, that as it's going from, from tragedy and trial and struggles, and, and in all of that, the, the, the struggles are this backdrop we see for us to see the amazing grace of God. That the best truly was yet to come. That there, there's a hope as we read this because we see that God is doing a million things for his glory, for, for your good. And even when in our life it appears God's absent, God, God, why are you silent in this? It, it doesn't seem like you're doing a whole lot or you're listening to what I'm calling out to you for. And yet we have a story of Ruth here to remind us that God's at work. I love the book of Ruth because you read through it and there's, there's no real big miracles in it. There, there's no huge, like, God shows up and you see this happen. And there's no voice of the Lord. There, there's no big things, visions and dreams. It's, it seems like nothing's happening in the book of Ruth. But God, I mean, God's still at work. And, and to see that, that truly the best is yet to come. Because remember how it started out. We see this guy, Elimelech, 
And then he, he leaves God's promises and he says, no, no, I, I don't know if I trust God. I don't know if I trust what he's doing. It, like the name means God is my king, but he lives like his circumstances are his king. And he goes to seek out his own and, and Naomi, his wife, goes with him and her name means sweetness, but they end up in this place called Moab and it's just tragedy after tragedy. In fact, Naomi comes back saying, hey, don't call me Naomi anymore. That means sweetness. Call me Mara. Call me bitter. She actually, Naomi comes home saying, I'm empty. Not knowing that Ruth, that this Moabite girl, this, this childless widow, the daughter-in-law of Naomi that's come with her, not knowing that she says, I'm empty, that the one who she comes home with is just this treasure of God. Because Naomi has this agenda where she says, God, I need you to work in this way. And because God's agenda, we see through the book of Ruth, God's agenda was not, Ruth, was not Naomi's agenda. She, she actually sees where God's at work. And I, I don't know about you, but man, that, that speaks to me because I've been there. I mean, maybe that's where you are this morning. And you've got this list, God, I need you to do this, this, and this. You better accomplish this here. And, 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 and because we're making this list and we don't see God accomplishing our agenda, we feel like, man, there's, there's no hope here. And we miss out what God might actually be doing. I mean, what if, what if even right now, if that's you this morning, what if God is at work and what if he's saying, hey, listen, I, I'm taking you where you would never choose to go on your own because I want to accomplish something in you that you could never accomplish on your own. The story goes on, Ruth and Naomi come home. Ruth just so happens to work in Boaz's field and, and Boaz just so happens, this guy Boaz, this hero of the story, just so happens to notice Ruth in his field. And we, we start to see through this book that there are no coincidences, coincidences, that's a hard word, coincidences in life, right? When you see a coincidence, it's actually just God incognito, right? That's what's kind of going on. And we see it in this book and we end off last week, with this huge letdown. Because Boaz comes, Boaz meets Ruth, they have this meeting together, like romance is growing. It's like this is all finally coming to the best is yet to come. And it ends off chapter three, as Boaz wants to step in as this, it's, we call it this kinsman redeemer, the person who's gonna rescue Ruth, but he says there's somebody else. There's another kinsman redeemer. There's someone who legally has a right to step in before I do. I want to make sure we understand what this kinsman redeemer role is. In Leviticus 25, you don't have to turn there, but you, you can read later this, this week if you want to, where God sets up this way of caring for people who have no one to care for them. And so he sets it up as this kinsman redeemer. Kinsman, it's the closest relative. Redeemer, the person who rescues them, or, or really what it is, it's buying back. So, so say you're in a situation where you have no sons, no husband, you're left alone, you're losing everything. A kinsman redeemer is supposed to step in, your closest person in your clan to say, I'll take this. I'll marry you. If you're not married, I'll marry you. We'll raise kids together. We'll, we'll redeem the land. We'll keep the land in the family. Here's how seriously they, they took this law. God's saying, I wanna, I wanna take care of people who face that kind of tragedy. Here's how serious they take it. In Deuteronomy 25, it says this. However, if a man does not want to marry his brother's wife, right? That's the kinsman redeemer coming in because his brother's died. There's no kids. He's going to step in. It says, she shall go to the elders at the town gate and say, my husband's brother refuses to carry on his brother's name in Israel. He will not fulfill the duty of a brother-in-law to me. Listen, it says, then the elders of this town shall summon him to talk to him. If he persists in saying, I don't want to marry her, 
His brother's widow shall go up to him in the presence of the elders, take off one of his sandals, spit in his face, and say, this is what's done to the man who will not build up his brother's family line. Like, what's going on? It's this, it's this picture of shame. That, that, that's what it is. It's, it's this, hey, like, like from now on, as that guy's wandering through town, it's like, oh, hey, there goes old one-sandaled spit face, right? <laughs> He's the guy who wouldn't step up. He's the guy who wouldn't be generous. He's the guy who wouldn't do the honorable thing of maintaining the family name. So, so we come to Ruth chapter four, and Boaz wants to take care of Ruth, but there's another dude who's first in line to be this kinsman redeemer. So Boaz wants to get it figured out. So you get your Bibles open to Ruth chapter four, verse one says this. It says, now Boaz had gone up to the gate and sat down there and behold, the redeemer of whom Boaz had spoken came by. So Boaz said, turn aside, friend, sit down here. And he turned aside and sat down. So we got here, we got Boaz going to the gate. Now, the gate is where, where anything that was, was happening in your town, anything that was, was local and legal business, it takes place there. And just, you see it again, just by coincidence, that kinsman redeemer guy walks by. I mean, God's providence on display again. Things that seem so simple, we, we can miss God at work. And it says, this, this other guy walks by, just so happens. And Boaz says, hey, friend, hey, buddy, come here. And, and you notice in the text, he doesn't have a name. In fact, in the original Hebrew, that, that hey, friend, it's, a, it's an idiom. It's, it's a, a Hebrew idiom. It's, it's like, hey, so-and-so. His name is forgotten. So unimportant. He says, hey, buddy. Hey, sporto. Hey, dude. He has, it's, you're going to see it. This, he's going to display this lack of generosity. I think the author of Ruth is like, yeah, you don't get to be remembered. Verse 2, it goes on. And then he took 10 men of the elders of the city and said, sit down here. So they sat down. So, so the elders now gathering around to act as, as witnesses of what's about to happen. My, my guess is a crowd probably gathers around as well, right? Because, hey, something's going down. There's something happening here. Let, let's see what's going on. Verse three. Then he said to the redeemer, Naomi, who has come back from the country of Moab, is selling the parcel of land that belonged to our relative Elimelech. So I thought I would tell you of it and say, buy it in the presence of those sitting here and the presence of the elders of my people. If you will redeem it, redeem it. But if you'll not, tell me that I may know for there's no one besides you to redeem it and I come after you. And the guy says, all right, I'll redeem it. I mean, Boaz lays out this amazing deal for this guy. He, he's gonna get this piece of land. He, he can grow crops. He, he, he now has this, this, this piece of, of, of property that he can pass on to his own sons. I mean, it's a no-brainer. No he's, he's like, of course, I'll purchase it back. And you gotta be wondering after how this story's been, been going through. You gotta be thinking, wait a minute, Boaz, what are you doing? Like, I thought you loved Ruth. Like, look, like why are you giving Mr. What's-His-Name this? Like, is this whole story going to end right here with, with, with so Ruth and what's-his-face walk off into the sunset, the end. Horrible movie. And you're walking around going, that wasn't satisfying. I can imagine Naomi maybe is in the crowd and she's like, hey, don't call me bitter anymore. You can call me fuming now, right? What are you doing, Boaz? Now, thankfully, Boaz is a pretty shrewd guy and he, he knew what he was doing. So look at verse five. And Boaz said, well, the day you buy the field from the hand of Naomi, you also acquire Ruth the Moabite, the widow of the dead, in order to perpetuate the name of the dead in his inheritance. So Boaz is like, great. There's some small print, though, you got to understand. 
There's some, some minor conditions that come with this land. And, I mean, you get a mother-in-law thrown in there. By the way, her name is Bitter. Right? Can you, can you, I just picture it this way. Imagine someone says to you, hey, I got this great place for you. It's on Lake Muskoka. It's amazing. The realtor takes you in. You're like walking through going, sweet master bedroom, great, great room in here, screened in ports. It's amazing. You go down the hall, open a door, and there's this angry old woman sitting in a room. Like, who is she? Oh, she comes with the place. But that's not all, because Boaz also says, hey, you you also get this widow who is a Moabite. Yeah, those Moabites. Thanksgiving is going to be awesome when the in-laws come, isn't it? Like he's setting this guy up. And and he also says this, that also means that your your excitement for passing down a piece of land to your sons, nah, they're going to be passed down to the sons you have with this Moabite woman. You can imagine this dramatic pause right now, like, 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 mister, I can't quite remember your name. What's he going to do? Verse six. Then the redeemer said, huh, I cannot redeem it for myself, lest I impair my own inheritance. Take my right of redemption yourself, for I cannot redeem it. He's like, you know what? I just, I just, I just prayed about it. I, maybe no. <laughs> Think about who this guy was. You got to see the contrast here. He, he had the legal right to follow through and redeem Ruth and Naomi. He had all the resources to make it happen. Remember what he said, I'll do it. It means he had the ability to purchase it. He did actually have the finances to make it happen, but he didn't want to pay the full price. Finally comes a moment we've all been waiting for. All the tension, all the trials, everything leading up to this one scene. Finally, Ruth and Naomi are going to be cared for. Their needs are going to be met. Look at verse 7. Now, this was the custom in former times in Israel concerning redeeming and exchanging To confirm a transaction, the one drew off his sandal and gave it to the other. And this was the manner in attesting in Israel. So when the Redeemer said to Boaz, buy it for yourself, he drew off his sandal. And Boaz said to the elders and all the people, you are witnesses today that I have bought from the hand of Naomi all that belonged to Elimelech and that all belonged to Chilion and Malon. Remember, those those are Naomi's sons who'd also died. One of them, Ruth's husband who had passed away. Also Ruth, the Moabite, the widow of Malon, I have bought to be my wife. I love how that says that I bought to be my wife. All through this story, how's Ruth been known? Ruth the Moabite, Ruth the foreigner, Ruth the servant, Ruth the slave. Now she has a new name. But what says, this is Ruth, my wife. She's not on the outside anymore. She has, she has a, a new identity. She has a, a new family. She's brought into my family, into the people of Israel. And all of this, look at verse 10 goes on. It says, all this to perpetuate the name of the dead and his inheritance, that the name of the dead may not be cut off from his brothers and from the gate of his native place. He's saying, listen, listen, Naomi, you're not going to be forgotten. Ruth, you're not going to be forgotten. You're not going to disappear. And he says to the elders and everybody there, you're witnesses to, the, to this day. Now look how the, how the elders and the crowd responds in verse 11. Then all the people were at the gate and the elders said, we're witnesses. May the Lord make the woman who is coming into your house like Rachel and Leah, who together built up the house of Israel. May you act worthily in Ephrathath. That's another name for Bethlehem. And be renowned, renowned sorry, in Bethlehem. I mean, they're stoked. They're like, yes, this is great. We agree with this. We give you a blessing. And, and, and there's two blessings they give. We're gonna see the second one as well. Both of them are kind of weird blessings. If you, if you read it right, it's kind of like a backhanded blessing. Have you ever get those before? 
It was a couple years ago, I was playing beach volleyball with a bunch of young guys from our church, and one of them said, hey, you know what? I never thought you'd be good at volleyball because you're so unathletic. <laughs> Is that a compliment? Or, no, I'm sure that's a good, there might be one in there, I don't, right? <laughs> I mean, the blessing they give is great. Why? Rachel and Leah's stories, they had 12 sons. Those 12 sons became the tribes of Israel. It's a great blessing. But if you know the story of Rachel and Leah and Jacob, I mean, it's a jacked up story. It's a blessing, sure, in the end, but to get there, I mean, it's so messed up. If it goes on, verse 12, even more of a messed up story. Verse 12, may your house be like the house of Perez, who Tamar bore to Judah because of the offspring the Lord will give you to this young woman. Again, another odd blessing, but a very messed up story. I don't know if you're thinking this, but the, the book of Ruth is filled with a lot of references to, to the, some, of the most, some of those messed up Old Testament stories. It's a hard book to preach because I'm like, okay, there's kids. How do I say this, right? It's, it's like some crazy stories. I mean, I'll let you on your own go to Genesis 38 to read this story of Perez, of Tamar and Judah. It's, it's a story of a daughter-in-law, Tamar. She was a Canaanite woman. So like Ruth, she was an outsider. She, she had no kinsman redeemer to carry on the family name, but what she does, she tricks her father-in-law Judah, father-in-law, tricks her father-in-law Judah into sleeping with her. She dressed up like a prostitute because she knew that, that that's how Tamar rolled. And has this son, Perez. Like, if the Bible was on Netflix, we'd all have to cancel our subscriptions, right? Like, what is going on here? In fact, Judah actually got mad when he found out that Tamar was pregnant out of wedlock, because that, that's how he's like, wait a minute, you're not married. How are you, you pregnant? He's all upset. He's about to take her to be to, before the elders to, to, to deal with her. And then like, they have this Maury Povich moment. You are the father, right? Now, why, why would they give these train wreck of a stories as their blessing to Boaz and Ruth? Here's what I think they're saying. Here's what I think God's saying in this. Listen, if, if, if God can redeem these crazy stories for his glory, Ruth, don't hide out because you're a Moabite. Ruth, Ruth, don't hold back because you have a past. Ruth, don't, don't have this fear because your, your life story is not a Disney movie. If, if God can redeem these stories, and listen, listen, this is not just for Ruth. This is for you here this morning. If God can redeem these stories, why can't he redeem you? Why can't he use you to change the world? You're like, yeah, yeah Pastor Kyle, you don't know my story. You don't know my history. Yeah, God does. God knows. God knows that you bring in here this morning and, and, and he's saying th through this story of Ruth, he's saying, he's saying, don't tell me you're beyond redemption. Yeah, but my sin, yeah, 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 but the struggles I have with addictions, yeah, yeah, but the situation that I'm in right now, yeah, yeah, but my past has things in it. If anybody knew what they were, yeah, yeah, but, but I, I struggle just to even read my Bible. I, I don't speak well. I don't feel like I'm super gifted. My life is so hard. I have physical ailments. I, 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 but, but I've been praying for this and I just don't see God at work. Maybe the prodigal's too far gone. My friend is too far gone. Maybe I'm too far gone. Listen, who are you? to say to a sovereign God, you can't do this. I mean, God puts the book of Ruth in his word, I think, to say so clearly, listen, he has the resources to redeem you. 
He has the legal right like Boaz was trying to get. He has that, that legal right through the cross to redeem you. He has the rights and the resources to do it. But even greater than that, I think, is, is not only does he have that, God says, I have the steadfast, loving determination to do it. I want to redeem you. I want to change you. I want to use you to point others to my love and my grace. Don't let your history define you. Amen. Don't let your circumstances be your king like Elimelech. In fact, I would say this. The only history you need to point to as a Christ follower is this. Jesus lived the perfect life I couldn't. He died in my place because I deserve that death because of my sin. And he rose again to take care of my sin, my past. I'm no longer slave. I'm no longer lost. I'm no longer on the outside. I've been redeemed. That's your story. And they bless Ruth and Boaz. And they're really saying, if, if God can carry on, if he can carry on and he, and he can bless the line of Tamar, he can do it with you guys. And I'm, I, I would say this, let's be a church that really believes this. Because even as I say that, I know that there's some in here who are like, I'm, I'm trying to believe this. I'm trying to hold on to that truth. And they need you. We need to be the kind of church that says, yeah, this is who we are. We want to live out this steadfast love of God for others. To say so loudly and clearly, yeah, you're welcome here. Now, I know who you are. I know the stuff you've wrestled with. I mean, we're in a small town, right? You'd be like, I, I remember when you were a little kid. I've seen the stuff you've been through. I've seen what, and we're like, welcome. Let me point you to Jesus. Verse 13, it goes on. So Boaz took Ruth and she became his wife. And he went into her and the Lord gave her conception and she bore a son. And you're like, finally, there's a wedding. And I like how the author highlights it. He says, the Lord gave her conception. This is God at work. This isn't like a high five Boaz and Ruth going, wow, one shot. You got that. Amazing, right? No, all through the story, you see this. The Lord at work. Verse 14 and 15, it goes on. The women said to Naomi, Blessed be the Lord who has not left you this day without a redeemer. And may his name be renowned in Israel. He shall, he shall be to you a restorer of life and a nourisher of your old age for your daughter-in-law who loves you, who is more to you than seven sons has given birth to him. It comes all the way back to the beginning now. Remember, Naomi came back and she comes back into Bethlehem saying, I come back home empty. And now they say, you're not empty. You have a daughter-in-law worth more than seven sons. Seven, that, that number of perfection in God's word, that number of completion. Naomi, you have this treasure, the one who God planned for you all through those trials. God had a plan. And he says, the Lord has not left you without a redeemer. And you read those verses, the, the language there is, it's intentionally vague. You're like, wait a minute, who, who's the redeemer? I thought Boaz was the redeemer, but it kind of ends with her saying that, that this grandson of Naomi's is the redeemer. What's going on? Listen, listen, the intent is to be vague because I really think what we're seeing here is God is actually the redeemer. He's the one who's been with you through this whole thing. I don't know about you, but man, I need to hear that. Seems that I'm struggling and, and I'm struggling to follow the Lord and, and I'm like, God, would you help me? I'm, I'm in trials here and God, as I reach up, it, it feels like sometimes God reaches down his hand to grab my hand and then I feel like I'm being pushed further into the trouble and trials and he's kind of walking me through. I got you. Do you I mean, do you guys feel that sometimes? Am I the only one, right? Honestly, I believe that 
from, from reading through scripture from my short life on earth that God is so much smarter than I am and that God knows what I need. I mean, so often as God does that, I, I can imagine God saying, Kai, what you need the most is humility. The best thing I can give you is for you to have a full dependence on me. That's what you need. So, so, so God, in his providence, his, his goodness and his power, he will create the, these journeys that we, he takes on. Again, what I said already this, this morning, that, that he'll take us to places that we would never choose to go because he wants to accomplish in us what we never could accomplish on our own. He will take you where you would never choose to go to accomplish what you could never accomplish on your own. And so here we have this amazing end to, to this perfect love story and, and what looked like was going to be nothing but tragedy. That tragedy was this backdrop to display even more greatly the grace of God, his sovereignty, his power, his goodness, his I'll never leave you or forsake you. God who says even today, I'm not gonna waste one ounce of your pain. So the story wraps up, look at verse 16 and 17. It says, Naomi took the child, laid him on her lap, became his nurse. And the woman of the neighborhood gave him a name saying, a son has been born to Naomi. They named him Obed. Now Obed there, the name actually means worshiper. You think of that, the story begins with weeping and ends with worshiping. But this isn't actually the end of the story. Like, this is like, like the credits are rolling. You're walking out of the movie going, that was an amazing movie. That was incredible. And someone goes, no, shh, sit down, sit down. There's a post-credits scene that's coming. I saw it online. And you're, you're kind of standing in the aisle going, really, okay, I'm gonna watch and see what happens. Look at verse 17. It says, the women of the neighborhood gave him a name. A son has been born to Naomi. They named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse, the father of David. And you're standing there going, what? I did not see that coming. The sequel's gonna be great. Right? That, that's kind of what you're thinking, Right? This is more than just a, a little love story between Ruth and Boaz. This is how God, in the middle of one of the darkest times in Israel's history, was providing a way for the greatest king of Israel to come. And you think, wait a minute, wait a minute. You mean Ruth is King David's great-grandmother? God used a, a Moabite woman who got into Bethlehem because of the unfaithfulness of, of Naomi's husband who said, I'm going to go my own way. She ends up in this hopeless situation for what? To become the hope of an entire nation. Verse 18 and 22 to 22, it says this. Now, these are the generations of Perez. Perez fathered Hezron. Hezron fathered Ram. Ram fathered Amnadada. That guy fathered Nashon. Nashon fathered Salmon. Salmon fathered Boaz. Boaz fathered Obed. Obed fathered Jesse. And Jesse fathered David. I mean, you have this family tree starting with Perez. The son born to a Canaanite woman in a horrible situation. And now you have Ruth and Boaz giving birth to Obed, Obed who's the, the grandfather of David. And remember that this whole story under this backdrop of dark times, it was during the time of the judges. It was tragedy all around of loss and hopelessness and it ends with David. I mean, this whole story is a story of redemption. And, and it's an amazing story. If, if you're one of the original readers reading this, you're going, oh, that's where King David came from. That's amazing. But for us, wow. We know an even greater end to this story, don't we? That, that really the best is still yet to come. Like, like it's in those, those movies where you have that post-credit roll, you think, oh, it's done. And then another one comes, right? Like there's another scene. 
that through David comes Jesus? Jesus, our redeemer. Jesus who steps in, who has the legal right to redeem. Remember Boaz, he had to have the legal right to do this. Jesus, from the line of the King David. Jesus, fully God, fully man. Lives a perfect sinless life, has the right to redeem you. He has the resources to redeem you. Power over sin and death. And listen, listen, not just the right and the resources. He has the unwavering, steadfast, loving determination where he says, I'll do it. In the Garden of Gethsemane where he says to the Father, not, your, not my will, but your will be done. I want to buy them back. I want to take the curse of death. I'll take the full penalty of sin. I'll be the redeemer. And Ruth then, we read that and we see, man, this is just the gospel just completely displayed for us so clearly. The, the gospel that says God is a God who redeems. That, that word redemption used, used 23 times in four short chapters. That the unloved are loved, the, the lost are brought home, the poor are restored. The, the inheritance that's lost because of sin is bought back by someone faithful. Bitterness becomes sweet. Death becomes life. I mean, the book begins with death and ends with a birth. That's the hope of redemption for us, that, that death becomes life. Curse becomes blessings. Bitterness becomes joy. Emptiness becomes fullness. That's the story of a Christian, that God moves you from cursed to blessed. God takes your bitterness to bring joy. God takes your emptiness of sin and he exchanges it for the fullness of Christ's righteousness. That's the heart of the gospel. That's the story of Ruth, the story of God's word. It's God's message to you. The gospel is not God rewards the successful, the put together, the righteous, the victorious. Listen, every world religion starts the same way. There's a gap, there's a problem that you can't get to God, but only Christianity steps in and says something different because every world religion says the answer to that problem is found in you. And that's depressing. That's hopeless. The gospel's different. It says you're Ruth. You're on the outside. You have nothing to offer, but there's a redeemer. He has the right and all the resources. And listen, he has a steadfast desire to redeem. I love it because there's this redemption of, of the most unlikely then. That, that, that Ruth has everything stacked against her. She's poor, she's childless, she's a, a widow from a hated race. I mean, I even love the setting of the judges. So, so you've got Ruth here in the setting of the judges where, where, where maybe like if you put her side by side with some of these judges, you've got Samson who's got all the strength. He's like this, this hero with crazy strength, but he's off messing with Delilah, trading in all of his blessing for, for these cheap thrills. And, 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 and while he's doing that, you've got this little Moabite girl. Gives up everything to follow God and she becomes a part of the greatest redemption story ever. Listen, let me say it this way. God does not need your abilities. God does not need your money. God does not need your talents. What he calls you to is this humble, faithful obedience to say, I'm gonna follow you. So we step out, we, we step out, we, we share Jesus, we, we give sacrificially, we, we serve and love people. And, and the point is not how much money you give. It's whether you give what God calls you to give. It's, it's not being super eloquent in how you speak, but it's, it's saying the words that God's called you to speak. 
It's not how strong or gifted or talented you are. It's, it's stepping out in faith to, and, and see that God is going to do what only he can do. So I pray this, that as we step into a fall season harvest, let's not stop being a church that is reaching way beyond our grasp. I mean, the things that God has done with our little church, now three churches, it doesn't make sense. It really doesn't. We, we don't have the physical resources we, we're, we're not experts at this. We, we, we make a lot of mistakes, right? We're not a big, huge, mega church with all the money. But, but listen, here, here's what we can do. Here's what we can do as a, as a church that's faithful. God, I trust you. You call us to step out in faith, so we're gonna do it again. And we move forward and say, God, you've called us to this mission. We, we, we step out and we pray, God, you've saved me, you've redeemed me, and now you can use me. Use me to reach people who are lost and lonely and broken. Those who are, who are living under the weight of sin, looking for the hope of a redeemer. And we can welcome them in. We can point them, lead them to the redeemer, Jesus. Listen, as the worship team comes up this morning, as we end off, as you think about those who have been redeemed, Listen, you yourself, as, as one who's been redeemed, if you're a Christ follower, you actually have the right to step into the mission. God calls you his ambassador. You have a king saying, hey, you're my representative. You're my sons. You're my daughters. You have the right to step into the mission. You, you have the resources to step into the mission. I mean, Jesus took your sin. Jesus stepped into your life and saw your, your spiritual bank account was nothing but debt. And his was filled with resources. On the cross, we have what theologians call the great exchange. You give your sin debt, and Jesus says, I give you all my resources. I give you forgiveness. I give you my righteousness. We have a spirit in us. We're united to Christ, and, and know this. Jesus was not reluctantly redeeming you. His steadfast love poured out for you. For sure, there was a legal transaction that goes on in salvation. But just like the story of Ruth, it, that, that, that whole legal transaction at the gate there was not the point of the story. You watch that, but you see behind it all, it's an act of love. Don't miss that picture of the gospel for you. As one who's saved and redeemed, you have the right, you have the resources. Let that fill your heart to say that I'm gonna step out. I'm going to step out with a steadfast, loving, trusting determination. Because we'd say, Jesus, I want others to experience this. So let me ask you just a couple questions before we sing. Are, are, are you ready this morning to move from being a slave to fear and sin to becoming his son and daughter? And maybe this morning you've never made that move. You're like, man, I've been Ruth my whole life. I've been on the outside. And I, maybe you've been coming to church. You've been kicking the tires. You've been trying to figure out what this is all about. But you've never made that step to say, I want to trust Jesus with my whole life. I want God to be my God. I want to encourage you, make, make that call this morning. Jesus, I want to follow you. Maybe for you, you've made a decision a long while ago, but you're just coming back to church and you're like, man, I had that zeal before, but I don't have the same zeal now that this morning you'd say, Lord, thank you for your grace. You've redeemed me. If you're a Christ follower here this morning, let me ask you this. Are you ready as his son or daughter to step into the plans he has for you? To look beyond yourself and say, God, pour me out. 
Pour me out for others. Are you ready to take that, that risk that where, where you say, I'm, I'm gonna risk the here and now because I want the greater reward because I know the best is yet to come. So listen, here, here's what we're gonna do this morning. We're gonna respond in worship. We're gonna sing a song that's gonna lift our hearts and our minds to the reality of what we've just read in God's word. But I want you to pay attention to what you're singing because you're gonna see as we start singing, you're gonna be singing about the reward, the reward of Jesus. Then, then you're going to be seeing about the struggles and that one day we'll be able to see from God's perspective how he's used it all, how he's, how he's created beauty from the chaos. And then we're going to sing about joining with the heroes of the faith. And what's that talking about? It's talking about a bunch of other messed up, jacked up, far from God people who he's redeemed, who surrendered everything because of the love they experienced in Christ. As we sing it, let, let, let this song be our song. People who lift high the name of Jesus and live out the truth that we're redeemed. Would you stand with me as I pray and then we'll sing. Lord God, I thank you so much for the truth of the gospel. It seems unreal. God, it's almost easier to see that easier to believe the lie that we either can do this on our own or believe the lie that we're too far gone. Both of them lies. This morning, I pray that we'd see the truth that no one is beyond your grace. To see the truth that we can't redeem ourselves. But that through your grace, through your love, that you redeem us, rescue us from our sin, rescue us from our destination of hell without you. And God, we want to celebrate that. We want to live that out. We want to be that for others. So God, would you, would you remind us again today? Would we be filled with that joy again today? And I pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Let's sing together.